0: Hey everybody! It's that time again. Rage across the internet, your very favorite Werewolf the Apocalypse podcast. I'm your host Porter, and uh, with me today is Daniel T. Ball Tyson. Say hi, Danny. <laughs> hey
1: everybody, T. Ball. Uh,
0: that's that's right, man. You you get it half the time. It's impressive. <laughs> so we're coming at you with a special episode today. Um, you know, it's uh, we're we're remote and there's there's some transitions going on. But hey, good news is uh, I sat down a couple weeks ago with Chris Gunning of Weaponized Ink Studios. And um, if you're not familiar with them, they're the creators of Werewolf the Savage Age, which is a topic that um, I have a lot of interest in. Yeah. Thankfully, Chris is a fan of the show, and he decided to sit down with us, and we put on a hell of an interview.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yes, you did. It's uh, There's a lot of info. There's a lot to unpack. Holy crap.
0: And maybe even a secret surprise at the end of it all. So make sure you stick all the way through.
1: Yes, stick around. You'll like what you have to hear.
0: In the meantime, um, you know what you can do. Um, you know how to support us. Um, every little bit helps. You know, you make sure you give us those um, those five-star ratings. You know, a review if you have the time. You know about our Patreon. You know that there's a PayPal for the one-time donations. You know, all that stuff already. Um, I will remind you guys that I believe there is still a sale going on at uh, rpg.com So we have our affiliate link there if you've gone onto our website. And that link is right there at the side of the screen. Or if you're on mobile, scroll down, guys. Come on.
1: Yeah, just... Just, it's just a little further, just just a little bit
0: more down. Yeah, just just just, just further down. It's just this drive-through. And you click on the thing, it's okay. <laughs> Man, <laughs> we we had some questions about that. See, so just you just just scroll down. It's okay. It'll be there. Promise. But, but you know, yeah, if this you know there was a sale going on, and it's uh it's a good time to pick some stuff up. But make sure you listen to the podcast first. Do do that first. Trust me on this
1: yeah uh, they yep like you said a little surprise
0: well and i think that's about it we want to get this um we want to get this out of the way you know without further ado we got something something special for you so uh what do you say we hand this off to uh other porter thanks again past porter hey uh i'm here with christopher gunning uh weaponized ink studios developer of werewolf the savage age how you doing today chris
2: i'm doing great Past porter how are you doing
0: past porter past porter that's where I'm doing fine. A little, little slap happy. I think we had, a, we had a little incident a couple minutes ago.
2: <laughs> I appreciate you having me on. I've been really looking forward to this. I'm a fan of the show. Uh, I'm a fan of what you guys are doing. And uh, it's a real honor to be on. So thank you for taking the time.
0: Well, I, I appreciate you uh, getting back to me and, and joining us. I mean, uh, the feeling is mutual. You know, I, I discovered your work uh, semi-recently. And I just, I absolutely loved it. And I thought, you know, what happens if? And I, I honestly was not expecting you to respond. So I'm... You know, thank you for being here.
2: Yeah, it, this is this is cool. It's it's fun engaging with people that have discovered the Savage Age, and have become fans of it. Uh, it. it's it's a it's a big deal for me, and it 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 is a big inspiration for why I am pushing out the products that that I am. It was originally intended to only be a single product, Cara, and the reactions were so much that I got excited and I started to write more. And now, for about two and a half, almost three years. I just keep writing because I really enjoy it. And the feedback from people like you is absolutely invaluable.
0: Well, and, and I mean, thank you. And I guess before we get started into what, what exactly the savagation tales and even the storytellers evolved, why don't you tell us a little bit about Weaponizing in the first place, about, about uh, you and your team?
2: Sure. I'm happy to. Uh, so I'm an experienced uh, freelancer. I've been s- freelancing, I think, for about 25 years now. Um, it's not my full-time job. It's, it's what I do on the side. Uh, I have writing credits from uh, starting with uh, DreamPod 9 um, and then including Privateer Press, uh, Arc Dream, uh, White Wolf. I, I did some uh, products for uh, Vampire the Masquerade a- about a year before they, they started to shut down. And I've just been continually doing freelance writing for the last two decades because it's it's a fun pastime for me. And that generates a little bit of income as well. The Savage Age is my first real foray into self-publishing. I wanted to challenge myself a couple years ago in terms of what I could do. Could I be more than just a word monkey? Could I do more than than just produce a bunch of really good ideas and edit and, and give it to a publisher? Could I generate my own art? Could I figure out layout? And I used Tribe Book Kara, which is the Where Smile, Where Dawn book. That was my first exploration into it. And and yeah, like the, the reaction seemed to be quite positive. And so I started writing another that turned out to be Tribuk, uh Naghalu, which is uh, where direwolves. And this became a much bigger, much bigger thing to the point where uh, we've had a number of people come on board. Other writers who have agreed and been excited for my vision of what the Savage Age is. In this case, by the way, the Savage Age is our exploration into the War of Rage set in the Pleistocene era about 10,000 plus years ago. But over over the last couple of years, other writers have reached out to me saying that they'd like to explore different aspects of what I created in the setting. And I've been really, really quite lucky or blessed, or however you want to define it, with the people that have reached out to me have all been really quality, just great individuals. Uh, from Nick May to Brandon Stewart to Case and Snow to Fabian Lopez. There's a whole series of writers now that have made weaponized ink into an actual... Group. Uh, so I will. You will often hear me refer to weaponized ink as we, and it's because there's a group behind me that that supports me. Andrew Howell, Andy Howell is a longtime friend of mine and writer. He's been absolutely influential and instrumental in helping create the Savage Age and build it into something that is successful. He understands Werewolf probably better than I do Werewolf the Apocalypse. And then Alicia Howell is our primary editor, and she's just amazing because she puts up with, with all my horrible grammar mistakes and, and the crazy words that I make up. And then the real foundation to Savage Age, even more so than us, than us writers, is Paul Way who is the artist we have a single artist behind werewolf the savage age and his vision for how to bring this all together creates a a linked visual history to every product and so when you look at the savage age you know the quality you're getting, but you also know the visuals are all going to be very consistent. And that was something I was really excited about. I had wanted to work with Paul Way for years. He was the original artist on a game called Spycraft, a D20 version way, way back in in another worlds of the, the D20 Revolution. And and I shot him an email just kind of randomly, like, hey, I'd really like to work with you on this this crazy, very niche product about where creatures in a war ten thousand years ago, can I get you on board? And he said yes, and it's been magic ever since. He's been amazing and super helpful. We've become friends. He's played in my Dungeons and Dragons games. He's played in some of my werewolf stuff. And the fact that we're all friends and we all really share this 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 vision of what the War of Rage and what werewolf could be is uh, is part of what I think makes the Savage Age a little bit different than anything else out there, you know, including on Storyteller's Vault.
0: And, well, you know, you bring up Storyteller's Vault and so I'm gonna I'm gonna hit on that for a second. But you know, I, I gotta say I have to agree to looking through the art, you know, the, the art is just fantastic. So I mean you um like you 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 yeah, back Paul the horse there. Paul Paul does a fantastic job. Um <laughs> And you know you've you've got a hell of a team based on uh, based on what I've read for your products. I think it's fantastic. Now,
2: yeah, I really am lucky because because we feed on each other, right? Like I come up with an idea, and then one of the other group, you know, like Kason or Brandon or Andy, will come in and be like, "Oh no, that's a stupid idea," but there's a kernel of a really good idea here. Let's coax it out, and they pull it out, and then we get something that's that's way better. And that's what I think is really cool about Savage Age is that it is a real team effort, and it builds these ideas into something that we all get excited about.
0: And a lesson to you guys at home, don't be afraid to call an idea stupid and don't be afraid to admit something stupid because something great can come out of it. You just heard it here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Now, the Storyteller's Vault, for those who don't know, uh, that it's it's essentially a method for for writers, aspiring writers, for fans, basically, to to put their spin or their ideas down um, to, to share with others, uh, a modern-day BJ Zanzibar, if you will.
2: Yeah, to some extent. Um, And that's a great reference, by the way, which I get. But Storyteller's Vault is the opportunity for community creators, for people like us, to put down our ideas onto virtual paper and publish them. Some of it's really, really good. There's, There's a number of products on there that stand almost shoulder to shoulder with anything that White Wolf or Onyx Path have put out. There's also a decent amount of Lesser impressive products out there. And so, Storytellers' Faults is kind of a feast or famine process. I like to think that Savage Age stands more on the feast side of stuff. And uh, but there's there's a lot of really, really good stuff that your listeners, if you haven't explored Storyteller's Vault, please do so. There's there's some really, really good content. And even if you don't pick up any of the Savage Age, I can live with that. Uh, but there's a lot of other uh, people that are very passionate about the old world of darkness, the new world of darkness, putting up some really crazy, cool ideas.
0: And I'm I'm going to double down on that kind of by saying definitely pick up the Savage Age and you can ignore the rest of that stuff and forsake it as stupid.
2: <laughs> well, I, you know, Savage Age, you know, ended up being our exploration into what the War of Rage could be. It was built off of this idea behind uh, Shattered Dreams, which is a book I have very strong opinions on. There are parts of, of uh, Shattered Dreams that I absolutely love. I think that it is it's an excellent book and it, it was high time we got something like that. There are other parts of Shattered Dream that drive me up the wall and make me grind my teeth. And so, Tribukara, uh, which is the first product that we put out, was my attempt at answering some of the questions that I don't think Shattered Dreams answered particularly well. And and it got into the whole War of Rage. It got into the the Where Smilodons and their fight with the Guru. And I think we we at that point it was actually I, me and Paul. We put something together pretty exciting. And and it's only grown from that. Seed. So now we've got this whole exploration into what the War War of Rage might have looked like 10,000 years ago, what the various pharaoh were doing, what the guru were doing. And at that time, the guru were not really a biological construct in the way that we think of them in Apocalypse, in Savage Age. The guru are an alliance of various canid shifters that have come together because they're getting their butts kicked by the other pharaoh out there. And so we want to explore that. And because this is these are questions that I had about Werewolf the Apocalypse. So there's there's a lot of our attempts to answer some of the, the hanging questions that developed to us as writers and players of Werewolf the Apocalypse over the years. You know, why why are the guru thirteen different tribes, but all one basic species? When you look at the other pharaoh, and each one of them seems to be based on a different species, why is that? that fundamental difference exists between the guru and the, and the Pharah. We explore that, especially in, in volume two of, of Savage Age, you know, what was the war of rage? Why are the Bastet and the guru so angry at each other constantly? Besides, you know, because one is cat, one is dog. That wasn't a good enough answer for us. So we're trying to explore these, these historical antecedents to what makes apocalypse such a cool game.
0: Well, and I, and I think you do a great job with it, and I and I want to I want to stress here, and I, just so it's abundantly clear to everybody, you know, this is a game. This is this is you know Werewolf, the War of Rage, essentially. This is not just Werewolf, obviously. You look at the first book, the the Accounting for the Dead, and there aren't any Gyro in that book, and I'm sitting here endorsing yeah. it. So no, I mean, you do the math. You're absolutely right.
2: Yeah, right. You're you're actually talking nice about Farah, um, past Porter. What happened to
0: you? Well, there's no Rokia, so that's it's a good start.
2: That's fair. We've got in in our first volume. So there's we have tri-books and volumes, basically, we've broken it out into. And the volumes are made to be kind of comprehensive explorations of a specific topic. The first volume is called Accounting for the Dead, as you mentioned. And it's our exploration into the um, the Pharaoh that did not make it out of the War of Rage. The ones that played some kind of instrumental war in the War of Rage. But were extinctified in the process, and so you know, primary on the, under them are um, the opus, the wear aurochs or minotaurs. We've also got the Grander, which are the wear boars. We've got the the cara, the the wear And we've got an exploration into what Neanderthals might look like as player character options, as well as one of our little seeds in there, which is the Anupaba'el, which are the proto-Silent Striders. One of the things I really wanted to do with Savage Age was explore the foundations of the tribes before they were actually tribes. And the L are kind of what the uh, Silent Striders, and to a lesser extent, the Children will evolve into uh, culturally and socially in Apocalypse.
0: Well, you know, uh, first of all, you you might, you might if I might offer a suggestion is you, you might consider a little phonetic uh, pronunciation for some of these down the line, like uh, the uh, the L, That's quite a mouthful.
2: You know what? You're, you're absolutely right. Uh, we're working on Volume 4 right now, which is going to be an exploration into the canon Fera, like the Mokale and the Naga, the Korax, and others that we haven't touched on. We've been mostly focusing on kind of, quote-unquote, our Pharah, the, the Pharah that were not previously really well-defined by either Onyx Path or White Wolf. Volume 4 is going to touch on the, the, the canon Fera that have their own books, And one of the things we're going to do there is try to provide things like pronunciation guides. I'm exploring like a whole glyph guide so we can have kind of a a dictionary of glyphs that have faded over time, that uh, have fallen out of use.
0: I love um, that idea.
2: Yeah, so, you know, and, and all of these are, are built with this idea that everything is playable, every single thing. So every every pharaoh that we introduce, every canid or uh, member of the guru nation that we introduce, every, every fetish that we introduce, and some of them are quite powerful and intentionally so, are made to be explored and to break the system. Um, We want Werewolf the Savage Age to be something big and epic in a way that even Apocalypse isn't able to explore because it's constrained by the, the realities of what our world generally looks like, there are there are boundaries there, right? Because we're exploring in the Savage Age 10,000 years ago, in the Pleistocene era, the very dawn of civilization, uh, we can take some of those boundaries away and encourage the storytellers and the players to really explore what power might look like and how dangerous it can be, how it's a monkey's paw.
0: That, that's, that's a really interesting take on it. I mean, I know personally, I, I've uh, traditionally had problems with alternate settings. And maybe not across the board, but there, there's a level of uh, you know I, I like to put my games in the '90s because typically my groups they they have that deep association with the '90s either they were teenagers or they were kids in the '90s you know so they have that that connection to to an era and and I've always had trouble with something like say Werewolf the Dark Ages right to where well what do these guys do all day you know I, I wasn't around in the Dark Ages I don't have a, a firm grasp of that and and I and I always feel like I'm I'm just kind of winging it and it's just it never feels natural to me. And so, I, like, I'm looking at the Savage Asian in what you're growing here. And, and I love the idea of, of the, you know, your, your monkey's paw concept, like you bring up, but also, I mean, you haven't even mentioned the worm.
2: No, not yet. We can get into that. So to get to your first point, that is something I think about as the developer a lot is because I'm asking somebody to play 10,000 years ago. And like you said, dark ages can be intimidating because you don't know what everybody does on a day-to-day basis. I'm now asking you to explore, you know, like there's no such thing as a city. There's, there's settlements, you know, but a conglomeration of 100 uh, sapiens, uh, homo sapiens in a, in a single area is, is about the largest that you can expect. It's a very alien and very different time. And so we've been really focusing on trying to provide as many insights and real, real pieces of advice on how to explore and feel comfortable in the Savage Age. Because I know there's, there's a mental barrier there. And, and I don't want that to exist. So, you know, in, in each one of our volumes, we have essays uh, that aren't particularly long and are made to be very approachable by anybody interested in the setting to help you understand what things are supposed to do. I always put developer notes in so that you can understand why I made the decisions that I did. Um, and how I envision this game to be played and hear you know, and present as many resources as possible. We're working with uh, Neil uh, Litherland, who is the guy behind the 100 Kinfolk series on Storyteller's Vault. He's been able to put together a series for us, and we're going to present uh, 101 Savage Kinfolk, which is put together so that way anybody interested in, in Savage Age doesn't have to come up with what their community looks like. We're going to give you inspiration and and make it as easy as possible so that your brain power can be focused more on building epic tales and exploring what the possibilities of the war of rage might be like while also creating an environment that feels real and vibrant and involves the community because that's the thing that werewolf does better than a lot of other games is this this exploration or the understanding that the guru are part of a bigger community out there And, and I want that for Savage Age. I want people to be able to feel comfortable exploring that stuff.
0: Well, it's definitely a varied community, which is great, you know, and I, and I want to go back to, to book one for a second, but before I do and you, you've, you've kind of brought this out here with what we're talking about, what kind of, um, in, what, what did you use for inspiration when you started crafting all this? Because, I mean, this is uh, significantly more than just uh, a little blurb or a tri-book or a half-baked idea. This is fleshed out. So what, what were your inspirations?
2: You know, number one is, and, and I don't say this flippantly, but I am a big fan of Werewolf the Apocalypse. Uh, I have been since since day one. You and I were laughing, but like I picked up Werewolf the Apocalypse on day one and by day four had ripped up my cover because those claw marks were never going to survive the amount of reading that I had put into that book already by day four. So one, I'm, I'm, I'm legitimately inspired by Werewolf the Apocalypse. I'm also a very a self-avowed paleo nerd. Way back in my college days, I was studying ornithology and paleontology. I didn't finish that particular uh, study route. But I've always been kind of this arm ta- armchair paleontologist and really interested in in evolution and particularly Cenozoic mammals. And I've always wanted, I always wanted Werewolf the Apocalypse to kind of explore that stuff and nobody ever did it. And and when Shatter, Shattered Dreams is coming out, I was like, oh, finally, somebody's really going to explore this. And it didn't quite do that. So I knew I, Storyteller's Vault existed. I had, you know, being a freelancer of so many years, I figured I had the skills to be able to put something together. I had been wanting to try art direction and layout And I had an artist friend in the name of Paul Way that I I could bring into this project, and I had a couple other writer friends, and I figured, why not put it all together? And that's really where the inspiration came from, is I wanted to do something of my own. I wanted to explore my vision of what the War of Rage should be like, that it should be this epic exploration into the way the guru were formed and the way the Pharaoh interacted the way the triad looked the way gaia uh, built her community of shifters i wanted all of these things that i felt werewolf the apocalypse very purposefully never really explored but the storyteller's vault gave me this opportunity to uh to get into that nitty-gritty and to explore you know how did the guru form what was the war of rage? What made the the opus cool and and also to to address some of the issues that I had with including you know like anniversary edition. when you go into the back of the book and you see the pictures that they gave of the opus they're not good like let's just call them what they are they're not good and oh
0: well,
2: yeah right like they're 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 bad. I wanted to address that for for people that might ever want to run opus hey i've got this this really great artist friend and he can draw minotaurs like nobody's business and he understands you know werewolf because i you know we've been working together let's fix this so we did we went in through and and accounting for the dead volume one has our exploration of the office and i'm really proud of it 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 does something a little bit different rather than just making them breeders they're kind of these future technicians and that's that's being far too flippant for what they do, but basically that they're they are trying to build Gaia and mold Gaia in a way that would strengthen her. And so they became known as breeders because they're also looking at trying to you know, um, to merge different communities to create stronger and stronger communities, you know, down the line over hundreds or thousands of years, they had this vision. And so that's what we did is we we tried to create, correct, in my opinion, who the oppis were and make them exciting to be able to be played. The Grander are very similar. You know, um, these werebores that we got a little bit here and there, and they rooted out corruption, they rooted out the worm. That's cool, but what else? And... And that's what we do, is we explore, you know, what can make these werebores even cooler. So there's there's a lot of my attempts to, not necessarily retcon, but to address some of the failings that I think that Werewolf the Apocalypse had. And I will fully admit, too, there's parts of Werewolf that have not aged very well over 20-plus years, you know? There's concepts within the Guru Nation that have not aged particularly well. And I wanted to address some of that and make it so that that we can explore what it is to be guru without some of the weird the weirdness that comes out of like the get or the red talons or the black furies like there's there's stuff there that just it's not super great any longer. So uh, werewolf the savage age is our attempt to look into that stuff and to kind of look past it and present cool character concepts that would work for a black fury or a get a or a red talon in the modern age push it back 10,000 years ago so that concept is still relevant but doesn't carry some of the same modern cultural baggage that is a bit squicky well there's there's
0: a lot to unpack there hey um well I guess I guess I would start with uh with just a minute to, to defend um you mentioned some of those concepts like the get and the and the red talons and I think a lot of that comes not from the game itself but from sections of of the of the fan base who either I mean this is my my maybe I'm wrong here. But but I feel a lot of that is, is the sections of the fan base who maybe don't know the tribe so well or or they hear those couple beats in this tribe book and take that as is gospel truth. Or yep. you know, and it's like it's it's not the get's fault. Read the book. It's not what you think it is. You know, the red, No that's fair. The Red Talons, you know, that was a <sighs> big one for me. You know, I walked into that doing our episode on it. I walked into that going, Oh god, it's the Red Talons You know, blah, blah, blah. He smells evil. Humans suck. Great. And I read the book and I'm like, they kind of got a point. And and it's amazing how like they've just been no one's listened to them this entire time. And this is what happens when. I'm sorry, I felt the need to defend that because, you know, I think, you know, as well as I do that nine times out of 10, when you see get a come up online, it's followed by the N word and I just get sick of seeing it.
2: I do too. And that's part of why we did this, right? Is, is if we push it 10,000 years ago, then all that cultural baggage doesn't exist. You you can't, ex, you know, like those people that want to explore the, the part of it or force their own agendas into, into werewolf, the apocalypse, This takes that out and says, you know what, there's no space for that at all. The other thing, though, is like when you look at the tribes, and I dearly love the tribes, and I think there's a lot of stuff that goes on that makes them really, really positive and a lot of fun to explore, but they really are very, very grounded in very specific aspects of, of largely human constructs. And I wanted to, in Savage Age kind of explore more meta-constructs. Like, one of the things in Savage Age that is one of the underlying themes to every Pharaoh, to every proto-Guru out there is uh, a Gaean mandate. So basically, this idea that Gaia had a specific mission for every Pharaoh out there, including the Canid shifters that eventually come to form the Guru. And I wanted to give everybody this kind of mission, this meta-mission out there, that kind of transcends just being glass walker or, you know, or these concepts of, you know, what does X country look like or how does X human civilization or X human culture influence the guru? I wanted it to be their own thing. I wanted them to be able to be guru without, you know, you know, when we talk about the Fianna, it's impossible to, to separate the Fianna from, from the British Isles. It's, every conversation is going to involve it. And there's a lot that can be explored with the Fianna and just the, the British Isles. But we wanted to take it somewhere else where you don't have the British Isles as as even a construct you can explore. So when you want a Fianna-like character, if you want to explore those concepts, we put it into a situation that where it stands on its own as specifically guru versus Irish or Welsh or whatever else you want to put in there. This is a guru thing, not a human thing.
0: Well, you know, that's interesting. And I swear I'm going to go back to that first book in a minute. (laughs) But, um, you know, it's interesting you say that. I mean, you know, here at the podcast, we stress character building. You know, I I hear things every now and then. I get questions a lot like, well, how would you play an Ah Ahraun Silverfang? And and I have to go, I have to look at that and go, well, I reject the hypothesis. Who's the person? A Silverfang is a tribe. You know, Ah Ahraun is an auspice. That's your job. You know, what, what is a... You know what? What does what a garbage man who wears plaid act like? What, what does that guy act like? It's it's. Yep. You know, Who's the person? So for you well, to kind of take away those crutches, that's brilliant.
2: Yeah, and I I, I like to think so. And uh, the the conversations I've had with people that have played this uh, say that it's it's generally liberating, right? So you know any generally any concept that you can have for apocalypse, you can port over to savage age, but you are stripping away. The, the human trappings and so and and our quote-unquote tribes because they're not quite tribes so each of the each of the tribes in apocalypse has antecedents in the form of the canid shifters we've got and and we play around with some of the nuggets out there right so like the siberic aren't just this kind of throwaway concept that maybe they're they're part of the silver fangs or maybe they're part wendigo or, or whatever they're their own thing that stands in fact they they predate The silver fangs in our in our setting we've got the balai which are this conglomeration of the get and the fiana um and to a lesser extent the the children all kind of mashed together on the white howlers of course and so what we did is we took what we thought was really really cool conceptually about each one of the tribes pulled out those concepts from each one of the tribes and then rolled a bunch of them together into the proto-tribes and and so this is a way you know you can explore those same concepts in in new and different ways and and make it different than apocalypse that was the other thing that we wanted to do with savage age is that savage age absolutely needs to be grounded in apocalypse apocalypse drives our decision making uh, because there's just such a wonderful setting there. But it also needs to stand on its own. Savage Age needs to feel like a different game than Apocalypse. And so we were talking a little bit about the triad, right? We haven't even mentioned the worm. In, in our version of, you know, 10,000 years ago... and. Admittedly, we play a little bit with with some of the assumptions of the setting in Apocalypse, but um, there's still a little bit left of the Destroyer Worm. So we're going to be getting into this in the future books, but there is uh, there's the the very tail end of the Wormish Civil War. We we haven't come up with a better term yet right now, but the Corruptor Worm has has basically won. But there's still these small little elements of the Destroyer Worm still out there fighting their version of the apocalypse where, you know, we're used to the guru fighting and about to be overwhelmed by the corruptor worm. Well, there were these elements of the destroyer worm that also are on their very last leg. And 10,000 years later, what they experienced back then is now being experienced by the guru as they fight with the end days looming. This also means, though, that, like, we're playing around right now with the wild and the weaver, right? The weaver is weak. Civilization has only just dawned. The weaver actually needs help to survive. And the wild is the big threat. The wild has run rampant for, for a long time. And now that the Corrupter Worm has become its thing, people don't quite understand what the Corrupter Worm is. The wild is the one that needs to be contained. This is actually where Tribe Book Naghalu comes from. If you've never heard of the Naghalu, that's because we made it up. It's where Direwolves and their Gaian mandate is to control the wild. Ten thousand years ago, controlling the wild was a big, big deal, and their death actually helps contribute to some of the craziness that we see in Apocalypse, at least in our vision.
0: So that's 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 pretty cool, actually. You know, I and, I and I'm doing it now. We are going back. We're going back to the first book. <laughs> you know, I I appreciate the I really appreciate the spin you took on uh, how, you, how you took what was there with like the Apis and, and the Grandor and, and built on it. You know, I I always um I guess we're a bit late to this, but I had to come back to it. The the idea that the 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 Apis originally is the um is Gaius Matchmaker's Always kind of cracked me up, you know. Yeah, it, right. Because, look, it was this idea of like, here's a wear cow coming up to a couple of Garu going, you two should get together, a Garu and a kin. You know, you two should get together. And the idea of the Garu's going, great, bring your brother, we'll have dinner.
2: Right. Like, yeah. And, and there's, like we were saying, right, just earlier, there's there's no real stupid ideas out there. there there's not, right? Like, there's a kernel of a really, really cool idea with the office somewhere there. And that's what we tried to do is is with Accounting for the Dead, we are trying to coax that out and make the opus so that when you read the opus, you're going to be like, holy crap, those guys are really, really cool. I want to play one. And that's actually one of our our defining uh, design goals is whenever we design a new fera or we introduce a new gift or whatever, a new fetish, Our goal is to present it so that whoever reads it is going to be like, ha, that's really neat. I want to use that. We're also doing it from a perspective that we want as much within Savage Age to be useful for Apocalypse as well, right? Because past lives and Mensis and the history of the Gru is like a big deal. And so we figured that we could present all this stuff in such a way that it will be relatively easy to port in in certain fashions, we don't expect people to play Opus in Apocalypse. Frankly, that's not my vision. You know, Apocalypse has has a very firm understanding of what it is, and and introducing an apoc an Opus is probably even more disruptive than introducing a White Howler. So that's not what we want. But we want elements of the Opus to be able to sift in to an Apocalypse game. Maybe there's an artifact left over from the Opus that spurns uh, an entire chronicle as your player characters are exploring who the Opus were and what they did and why did they die out during the War of Rage and and yeah so there's there's elements there each time we're like how do we make this cool how do we make it playable how do we make it useful for Apocalypse as well
0: well and if any and if anyone knows me you know if if you were to ask anyone who knows me well uh, my my favorite worm beastie. They're going to tell you it's a skull pig. So when I, when I went through and I read your take on the Grandor, I, I could not tell you how thrilled I was with, with, with um, their position in the War of Rage and the, the extra oomph that you guys gave them. You know, I I was the other day I was talking to, uh, I think it was Danny, actually, you know, because this was news to him. And I'm like, oh, no, it's their fault. It's their fault. And it's awesome because they won't back down because they don't give a shit. That's right. Right. Like, that's that's what
2: we were thinking about, too, is is there's so many cool elements in Apocalypse, like like Skullpigs, right, that seem to be kind of throwaway stuff. Well, this is our opportunity to explore why are they the way they are? Because some writer before me had a really, really cool idea. And maybe didn't have the the word count or the time to be able to explore it. This is our opportunity to do so and explore those little niche pieces of apocalypse that that still have an impact on the world, but then also could potentially be really cool to play out uh, during the War of Rage. So we've got we've got a couple things in 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 the works, in terms of the War of the Rage, War of Rage, and it's been really fun to explore it. Right, like. Why did this start out the way it did? And so we built this vision of the War of Rage that really started on the Indian subcontinent, actually, between the Garander and the Kucha. And most of your listeners will probably recognize the Kucha Kundu, which are, you know, the Red Talon sub-faction. We make them into their own thing in this case. And we recognize, um, I mentioned that I'm a paleo nerd. There's there's a biological connection between African hunting dogs and doles in South Asia. And so we decided to kind of explore that. And so the Kucha are they, they actually have two offshoots, the Kucha Kundu and the Kucha Sakurai. And the Kucha Sakurai and their and their conflict with the Grander in South Asia is is what sparks the our version of the War of Rage. And what it what it's based on is just hatred and animosity over generations. The two refused to back down. The two were so prideful that they kept fighting each other. They kept killing. Each other they kept hunting each other's children and the anger just kept building up over generations we're talking about like hundreds of of years so that it becomes this this genocidal war between the two factions and it becomes so devastating to to each side that they have to start calling in allies otherwise both of them face extinction due to the conflict constantly growing and so as they call in their allies or, um, or like-minded other pharaoh, the the war of rage grows and grows and grows. And so it starts as this kind of very personal, almost like Hatfield and McCoy rivalry between the Grander and the Kucha Sakurai, and grows into this worldwide, quote-unquote worldwide event. It, North America and South America are actually largely exempted from this, but Eurasia, Europe, Asia, and Africa which is kind of the known world of the Pharaoh, are eventually every community there is engulfed in this because it becomes just such, this, such a morass of hatred and animosity that nobody can pull themselves out easily.
0: Now, it, it, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated, or, or i I'm fascinated, I appreciate the way and that um, you know, the War of Rage isn't one thing exactly. It's how it is a series of, a series of things over a great length of time. And I think that gives uh, so much room, you know, for the ebbs and flows of battles. And like you mentioned, there's a point with the Gara Nation where they're getting hammered. But, you know, we also, there's a point where they aggressively do not get hammered. And so I I can definitely appreciate, especially with the the length of time, but, you know, through this whole era, that you can really just throw yourself in, throw a group in, wherever you please. And, and I don't want to say anything can happen, but anything can kind of happen.
2: Yeah, that was that was also a design goal of ours, right? Is that you can kind of explore literally any section of the Pleistocene or one of the continents that you want to explore and pop a pack down and run with it. And we're really trying to focus on giving storytellers ideas. Uh, when we write a fetish, there's a story behind the fetish. When we present a fera type That Pharah has a history to it that connects to other Pharah and to the War of Rage. That's always been a strength of Apocalypse, and it's something that we didn't want to give up with Savage Age. But yeah, the intention is you can take kind of whatever you want and explore it. That's also what Savage Age does, a little bit different than Apocalypse. And I think you and I have very similar visions. Like Apocalypse, you know, Pharah need to be the exception rather than the rule, in my opinion. And generally don't mix very well with the Guru. Um, there's a handful of exceptions, and I'm willing to, in my games, allow special snowflakes once in a while, but they have to have really strong character concepts. If you want to play Korax, I'm willing to entertain it because they've got a history with the Guru. If you want to play Aswara, that big character concept better blow my socks off before I'm ever willing to consider it, allow it to allow that concept in with a guru. But I'm willing to consider it. Possibly a really good concept will allow it. Savage Age is different. Savage Age is made so that you can have multi-fera out there, pick one side of the war of rage, and and explore it. And so if you want to have the guru running with... In fact, let, let me take a second. The guru in Savage Age is a social construct, right? So it's not the biological thing that we know in, in Apocalypse. It is the the alliance of a series of canid shifters not even all the canid shifters but most of the canid shifters come together to form the guru nation which is their alliance basically to stave off extinction and like you said it starts off kind of as, as an attempt for them to save their own hides and eventually grows into the most successful multi-phera social construct that's ever existed to the point where the guru are the dominant pharaoh in the apocalypse but we wanted to explore what other things are going on and and in fact the guru nation is founded by a garal tribe as well the guru approached the garal in the formation of the guru nation and said we would like you guys to join you you generally agree with you know I'm paraphrasing obviously but you generally agree with what we agree with and we need to survive please help us and the various guru tribes all variously they they all decline as we know and most of them go into long term hibernation except one the saxum aknami which are the Ware cave bears and they throw their lot in with their canid uh, brothers and sisters and help form the guru nation they eventually don't survive because they're used as some of the preeminent frontline troops to buy the Canid Shifters the time to consolidate and to recover their numbers, the tragedy there is that the Saxon ultimately the Ware Cave Bears sacrificed their their entire line to allow the Guru Nation to form and for the Canid Shifters to become the Guru that we know and love. But it's something we wanted to explore: is this idea that the Guru Nation is is not like is not unlike the, the hengayoke or the ahadi or any of the other multi fera. It's just that this one only the guru survived. Only the canids. But the guru the gural had a role in creating our version of the guru nation.
0: You know, it's funny as I was just about to bring them up, too, when you said something, because I think that it's, uh, it's pretty fresh. And it's, um, you know, for the listeners out there, what, what a great example of how you can mix this stuff and, and how, you know, how you could bring those together. And as a side note, that little image of the one in Hamid on page 81 is fucking amazing. I love that picture. But <laughs> running it back a second to um, you, we you bring up the Koraks. And um, I, I can't bring up the Koraks without bringing, out the, bringing up the Kamatos who are oddly missing so far. And I'm going to be curious to see where they show up. But um, we've recently had a thing, a little conversation about the Koraks in their oddly protected status through everything you know what with the fenner considering them lucky and the relationship with grandfather thunder and his brood and it just seemed like the the kind of got off scot-free through everything and i'm wondering is um as you continue down the savage age line if that's going to continue to be the case or if we're going to see how they've got this special war of rage immunity
2: no no no, no. They, they they do not in fact i'm um on our discord server we have a weaponized ink discord server we're talking a little bit about it right now i have i have a very as your listeners probably can tell, I have very strong opinions about Apocalypse, but I've, I've done a lot of thinking of Apocalypse. The Korax included uh, the Kamatzots uh, as well. So the Kamatzots are are the Urkama, uh, the U-R-K-M-A. Their tribe book is being worked on right now. Their Gaian mandate is basically protecting Gaia from the predators in the deep umbra, the un you know, like the Cthulhu-esque horrible creatures that exist in the space between the stars. The Urkama are these explorers into the deep umbra and have been watching these creatures, and their job is to come back and warn the Pharaoh of when incursions by the by these these predatory deep umbral creatures may occur. That evolves eventually into the Kamatsots, which you know the ears of Gaia, partly because they they get punished during the um, during the War of Rage as well, uh, as well as you know encountering these creatures out in the deep umbra. Really destroys their numbers. And so by the modern age, their Gaian mandate has kind of shrunk into a, a very sub, a specific subset of what they used to do. So that that's something we're actually halfway done or so with that book. And part of the reason I'm really excited about it is Paul Way, our artist, does bats so well. And I, I want these cool, wear bat creatures that look intimidating and are fun. And when you visually see them, you're going to want to play them. That is one of my my personal goals, is to, is to get that out there. On the Koraks, Koraks are a tough one for me. Yeah, they've got this kind of plot immunity that I've never loved. Their wear form stinks, to be completely honest. Like, oh, come on. It, that's, it's oh, cool no.
0: form. What are you talking about?
2: It, it, too many times it's really not presented... As something cool and dynamic, right? Okay, okay um,
0: I'll grant you that. But like, check out the art in Okai, which I'm not in love with. Yes, these yes. But that's fantastic. It's, it's a great looking think where Raven. What a silly statement already, but it looks great. Fair enough.
2: You, you know what? You're you're absolutely right. And so that's what I want to explore is those visuals as much as like the writing and i and you can probably tell that the visuals excite me as much as the actual setting and presentation that's why you know i i take financial hits on every book that i produce because i spend too much on art uh, but i want my readers to have excites them and inspires them and so be it but so with with Corax, there's Korax and Mokale are probably going to be the, the two Pharah types that are going to get people the angriest, and I'm just going to put it out there. There are people out there that firmly believe and have encountered them, that the Mokale have done nothing wrong and will never, ever do anything wrong. In the Savage Age, when we get to the Mokolé, they will have done wrong. They have done wrong multiple times, and if you are a big believer that the Mokale are the, the Apocalypse's version of saints, Savage Age is probably not for you. So let me just put that out there. The other thing with Corax that we're starting to really explore and something I want to explore is, you know, paleo nerd Chris is talking. The Corax are descendants of dinosaurs, not the mokole. The mokole are alligators. They're crocodiles. That is a distinctly different lineage than the dinosaurs. The Corax are the actual inheritors of the dinosaur lineage and we're going to explore that at one point and explain why the Mokule have the dinosaur forms in the modern day and the Koraks do not and I think that's going to be really fun and it's going to really shake some of the assumptions people have about the Mokule and the Koraks and what happened 65 million years ago when almost all the dinosaurs went extinct.
0: Now, th- what you said is intriguing, but, but I do have to warn you that if this means that the Koraks get to dream themselves into Velociraptors, I am going to edit this interview to where all of your dialogue comes from Chris Henson's To Catch a Predator.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, we're going to explore not into the Velociraptor stuff, but, but we are going to explore that. I want to make the Koraks cool. And frankly, from my perception, dinosaurs are cool. And I don't want them to do what the Mokule do. The Mokule have their own thing. But I do want the Koraks to be able to pull on some of those cool you know images and potential gifts and other stuff. I want to give them their own their own stake their own claim to some of the dinosaur heritage that has been given up. Not in the modern era, right? So the Koraks are the Koraks of the Apocalypse. And frankly, the Koraks in Savage Age are pretty much the same as the Koraks of of Apocalypse. But if you go back, I want to put those seeds there that if the guru or a Korax player or something else wants to explore the a more glorious time, when the Korax weren't just were-ravens, when there were other bird, were-bird types out there, and the farther back you go, it becomes cooler and cooler and cooler. That's what I want to do with it. I don't want people playing were-raptors. But I do want them to be able to call back to and pull on some of those those thematic aspects of dinosaurs that could make uh, a Korax character a bit more varied and a bit more interesting.
0: Well, you know what? I'll we'll, we'll see. You you have definitely you, you've picked my curiosity, and you've definitely with the work you've done so far. You know who 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 could deny you the benefit of the doubt? That's what I was looking for.
2: That's fair, and you know what? And that's what I have to work on. Right? Is I write this stuff for myself, but I also write it for you and all the other fans out there. And I don't want to break anything. I want to improve things, right? Like so I'm very conscious that anything that is presented in Apocalypse, I don't want to outright say that it didn't happen or or just edit it out of existence. I want to if I need to, I need to t- I want to tweak it and I want to add options and I want to give players, you know, okay, the Opus can still be, you know, matchmakers and breeders. If that's what you want to play, great. We've got the elements for that. But we've also got this other option for you over here in which they are social scientists, like the first ever social scientists, and we're trying to build Gaia into something bigger and more epic. And isn't it so sad now that the Apis are no longer around because, gosh, we could actually really use them. So I don't. my goal is to add options and, and not to pigeonhole any of our creations into one thing.
0: I, I definitely, I definitely see that. And again, you know, so far you've been doing a, a pretty spectacular job, um, you know, and again, I got to applaud you for the change of the office. Cause again, it always cracked me up that idea of, you know, you, you two should hook up. And in the person saying, this is the thing that's most likely to be the dinner of which the two of those hook up over. It's a shock. Yeah, right. Not. Like,
2: um, and then we're, you know, we're going to explore other pharaoh types. I was just mentioning the Urkama, which are the Kama uh progenitors. I'm. I'm not going to go too deep into it, but there's other there's other Pharah types that are even farther out into you know the into deep time that existed at some point. And my intention is to present them, probably not as full tribe books, but again as options for for Guru players either in Savage Age or in Apocalypse to kind of explore what their legacy may have looked like.
0: Now, here's one. Is there um because there's there's something we we have not mentioned? I mean, there's a couple we haven't. But um what are you going to do to make the rokea cool? Or are we just going to forget them? I mean, that'd be okay.
2: No. Okay, so uh, the rokea, I that's probably going to be one of the last ones I touch on. Um it. they and they operate outside of the rest of the fera and I'm good with that. I think I personally think that if you're, you know, in, in, the, in what is established as this, the apocalypse setting, if you're merged with a fish brain, you think fundamentally different than, than the other phara out there. Same thing, actually, by the way, with reptile brains. I think the mokale operate and think and view the world very fundamentally differently. One of the, one of the things that I have a very strong opinion about um, that the other writers have tried to challenge me on is I think generally every every ferah should come from predator stock. And we played around with that. And when you get to the Apis, you can figure out how we explored that. We we go back into the Apises into basically bovine history. And there was a there was a time when bovines were actually predators. And we say, you know what, that's actually when the Apis started and they've evolved into this thing. And if you want, you can buy a gift that allows you to reawaken your predator spirit as an Apis. And that's why that's why the Minotaur looks so cool, is they're they're calling back to a bygone age. But that's when you look around generally at what Apocalypse established, right? They're all generally mammalian predators as 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 the thing that combines with with the human side, the human brain, right? So you've got you've got great cats and you've got hunting dogs and we have dire wolves going on. You've got a bunch of stuff. And then you've got the Molchala, which are which are an exception to that. You've got oh and you've got the Ajaba, and you've got the Rokea you've got the Anasasi. so there's a handful of exceptions, but they're all predators except the opus uh, and to a lesser extent the grounder so one of the one of the kind of setting Bible aspects to savage age that we we generally try to adhere to is that if we create a pharaoh, it needs to come from predator stock because we think that is at least in my head that's the the thing that needs to combine with the human brain to make them enough to, to make them effective that the mammalian predator stock works well and creates a viable phara, for lack of a better term. There's a, like I said, there's a handful of exceptions out there Rokea, Mokole, and Anastasi. And I'm probably forgetting one or two others off the top of my head. But then, I, if those exist and they come from distinctly non mammalian perspectives, I am going to present them as being particularly inhuman. So the Roka are doing their thing in a way that is often unrecognizable to the mammalian-based pharaoh. And so we'll get to them eventually. I actually have a very specific vision of, of how I want to explore them. But they're they're not my priority right now because I literally can push them off to the depths of the ocean and not worry about them. The Mokale are a little bit harder, but that's also why we have this different vision of what the Mokale are rather than these Sates they're operating on a morality that doesn't intersect necessarily with what the mammalian pharaoh expect.
0: Well, you know, and that's, I mean, I bring up the because I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. It, 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 I don't mean to undercut all the stuff you've created from scratch because there's some great stuff there. You know, I look to the, uh, and and, and actually it calls back to me, you know, I love the, the connection with the Striders and their, and their, purpose in this era you know it reminds me of actually the beginning of our Fiata episode a couple of weeks ago you know they're, they're they're kind of the original ghost cops
2: yeah absolutely right and so we wanted to we it, the Anupuba the anupu L, which the anupu we just say are the proto silent striders and actually they've got connections to both the children and to the glasswalkers actually a little bit but yeah we wanted to explore that like how did they become these you know, shadow cops. How did they get this connection with the Umbra and the deep Umbra uh, or the shadowed Umbra that the other that the other Pharaoh didn't? We one, we answer that by our, their gay and mandate. And two, we show how they evolved from like really, really effective shamans and theurges into this kind of very specific niche. And and I like it. I think it adds a bit of depth to Silent Strider characters. It potentially adds depth to modern glasswalkers or children of Gaia characters. Like there's there's elements there that can be mined to really deepen those concepts.
0: Well, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I mean, like, they're right there. It's I mean, you've got... It, it's cool stuff, you know? Like, uh, for me to be fascinated with a book that doesn't feature Garu, you know, again, that's already the endorsement. Um, But, you know, I, I go back to the, the Rokia for a second. You know, I, you know I, mean, I mean, I was making jokes, obviously, because, I mean, you, at the same time, you've put together these really cool different spins on the existing Farah, you know? So it's like, you know, how can you make this one good? And I, and I know other people, you know, have their opinions on on the, the street sharks and all, and that's great. But for my money, it always seemed like maybe not a great idea to, to when you, when you're making your fair, right? I'm guy, I'm making my fair. I need, I need jobs filled. You know, I'm handing, I'm handing out work assignments. I'm creating new species to get these jobs done. And I'm going to take the shark and mix it with something that has no business in the water at all. Like why, why did we choose you? Right. Was, was there nothing better down there that you could have weared together with the shark to make rookie more functional?
2: Yep. And that's, that's, so I've got an idea of what I want to do with the Rokea. I'm not sold on it yet, and I'm a big believer that a writer needs to sit in an, on an idea for as long as possible. You come up with an idea, and if you forget about it, it probably wasn't a great idea. You can always write it down or whatever if you really need to. But if there's an idea that keeps percolating, and you refine it, and you know, you're know you at work, you're typing on your computer, you're doing whatever else, and your mind wanders to the Roquea. And you start thinking about what to, how to make them cool again, or how to change them, or how to tweak this. And if you do that for a series of months, then you end up with something pretty cool. I mean, Savage Age, my concept of the Kara, of the wear smile was was probably about ten years in the making. I thought a lot about them, probably more than any sane individual probably should, about what where Smilodons in the Pleistocene Age looked like. Like, that's a very niche thing to have to think about. But that's what I I enjoy, you know, in those daydreams when I'm stuck in a meeting that I really don't want to be in, that's where my happy place was. And so for years, I thought about the Kara. And for years, I've thought about what the War of Rage should look like. And so these concepts that have always percolated in the back of my, my head... Are coming out. And that's what I'm going to do with Rokea. is I'm going to sit on it, probably at least for six months. I've got this idea, and I'm just going to let it keep rolling around and rolling around and rolling around until something cool comes of it. And if nothing really good comes from it, it gets shelved. I'll just never use it. Um, and everybody in, in every fan of Werewolf has that one that one or two or three type of Farah that they just think is absolutely ridiculous and the game would be better if they were excised completely. And I wear this one on my sleeve. I don't like the Anasazi. I know people love them, and, and I can see why. Like, there's parts of the Anasazi presentation that are just really, really cool and very compelling. But for my Apocalypse games and for my Savage Age games, they really don't fit. I present them exclusively as as antagonists. There's there's never an opportunity in my games to play an Anasasi because I think they're they're better antagonists and that they're better off not being even slightly connected to to Gaia. The same thing by the way with vampires. If you're playing in one of my werewolf games, do not even ask me to play a vampire. If we want to play vampires, we'll go play vampire. If we're playing werewolf, vampires are the bad guys. They are, in my games, corrupted by the worm, no question. They are worm entities. They are spreading their corruption in the cities. They are a threat that needs to be handled. I think, I personally think, of course I do because these are my ideas, but I think that helps... Uh, like, make the the vision of of Apocalypse a bit more concise and create some really useful boundaries on what types of concepts and character possibilities exist.
0: Well, you know, first I want to say, sorry, Producer Joe, you heard it from the man. She's pretty fine at the Ananasi, but... uh... She is. And, you know,
2: and I know why people love them. I really do. Right. But, and there's like in, in their presentation in in anniversary edition is really, really good actually, in my opinion. And there's a lot that can be done with them, but there can be a lot to be done with vampires too. And frankly, I think the two cross over a bit too much. And I already have in my head that vampires are bad guys. And so I can't help it. I, I push the Anasazi that way as well.
0: Hey, don't be sorry. Just, you know, Hey Joey, haha. Ha. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I totally get it. You know, I liked the idea of the Kumo and Hangyokai. so like I, I totally get it. Um, and... Oh,
2: that's a great concept too, right? But like, if we get into the point where we say the Rokea are too alien, and why couldn't you find something else to to wear out with a human? My mind goes to spiders. Those are exceptionally inhuman. They they are they're so far away from. Being mammalian, that if you merged the human brain with a spider brain, the thing that you would end up with, or a spirit in this case. So, if you merged a spider spirit and a human spirit together, the thing you come up with is a monstrosity in in the truest sense of the word versus, you know, this hybrid sort of Weaver, Wilds, and defender.
0: I, no, I, get, I, I take your point. I just, for me, the Rokia, obviously, Rokia is my, they're the one. They're the one for me. Um, everybody's
2: got their boogeyman
0: everybody has their pharaoh boogeyman yep it's for me it's me it's them and then the mccullough you know i just i'm not having it but um with the with the my problem with the street sharks with with (laughs) i say i can't separate it either it was such a bad idea then why would you put it in the book but but it's that you know you can't it it, and i don't know any other way to say it it's the fish out of water syndrome all right they don't live in the same environment You couldn't do a a, a shark and a manatee or like some weird squid monster from the deep. I mean, the concept of underwater, there's so much of our planet of our planet. We haven't explored who knows what the hell's down there. Like in the, in the, in the very dark, deep lurking below, that's interesting. That's exciting. That can be scary. And then you pair it with let's kick some fin in a breed form that can't exist down there where they're supposed to be.
2: Yeah. So there, there's a lot to unpack there, but I think there is, there's a kernel of a good idea that we potentially can explore. You know, th- it's actually a very similar question that I asked myself, which is what did the Pharaoh look like before humans were around? You know, we're exploring the dawn of civilization and, you know, only a couple million years beforehand, do Homo sapiens actually become Homo sapiens? Like we're we're exploring, you know, geologic time in which you know this idea that that the pharaoh predate humanity. And so, if they're g- being given human forms, what was going on there, right? Like, how are you given human forms before humans were a thing? And that's something that we've explored a little bit in Savage Age. And the th- there's more to it than that. But basically, the 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 core answer. The, the short-form answer that we have is that Gaia had been envisioning this quote-unquote great form for a long time. Basically the general human form. Two legs, uh, two arms, opposable thumb, digits as fingers. Ha- Gaia had always been holding this in reserve uh, for her pharaoh as like the ultimate gift to to impart on them to make them her servants to make them useful so even before humanity came around the the general human form was used by Gaia uh, for for the Pharaoh this was her gift to them and then her introduction of humanity was her admitting that one some of her Pharaoh experiments had failed and not done what they intended and two recognizing that the apocalypse was coming and In a desperate gambit, she gave the great form to an entire class of non-shapeshifters, to non-mystical creatures. These became humans, and humans in in Savage Age mean both Neanderthals and Sapiens, possibly Denisovians, we're going to explore that later. But human, humanity even means something slightly different in Savage Age. But we explored what, you know, the pharaoh looked like before humans, and then why do humans look the way they do? Why are humans special to Gaia? And the answer, from our perspective, is they're the first non-shifters to really be given, quote-unquote, the
0: great form. That's, um, yeah, that's a little take. I like that. Um, so we, we talked about, we talked about book one, the rise of the, uh, that's not the one accounting for the dead. Yep. Don't worry. Thank you. Yeah. The rise of the Garu uh, being the second book. And you said you're working on four. What's, what's the third book? This one's stuck right by me.
2: That's the, that's our tools book. That's our savage age book. Um, uh, I mean, our, um, our fetish book. So. So far, we've got, you know what, I should count the actual number of books that we have, but we, we, we separate things out into try books and volumes. And so number one of our volumes, which is Accounting for the Dead, uh, number two is Rise of the Guru, and three uh, is Tools of Extinction. Tools of Extinction, uh, volume three, is our exploration into what fetishes would look like in an era when metal was exceptionally rare, where there was no forging, really. And when the boundary between the umbra and the physical realm was exceptionally thin, so you could make even more powerful fetishes than normal. And so, when we designed these fetishes, we designed them and Talens, uh from, the, from very simple ones, you know, simple level one uh, fetishes that should be relatively available, all the way up to, to level six and beyond. Fetishes and our take on Savage Age is because of the relative distance between the Umbra and the physical world not being that large. Fetishes, especially level ones and level twos, are relatively common for characters, uh, and so we want to explore that. We wanted a book that tr- that put those fetishes directly into the hands of the player characters and for the storytellers, and we built stories into each one of these fetishes so that there's a utility. For any storyteller to go in there and be like, okay, that's a cool idea. Maybe I can run with that. Maybe I can go with a story with that. We also built these fetishes and talons, talons, so they could appear in apocalypse rarely, but also be something really cool and interesting. You know that survived ten thousand years, and you know if you drop this into one of your glasswalker uh, characters. What are they going to do with this? And, you know, how are they going to explore the history? You know, if they've got a high past lives, what can they, they figure out about this? Book three, volume three, also goes into totems. We introduced a bunch of totems. You know, it seems like everybody introduces a ton of totems anyway. So we tried to do something different in volume three. We introduced different types of totems. So in this, like, we introduced a, a type of totem that is a single totem, like bear, that becomes multifaceted when you dig down into the various concept under bear. So it's not just bear totem here and then mother bear over here and den father over here. They're all part of a larger bear totem, and you're pulling in only one part of it. We introduce actual insect totems. After I was just saying I'm not a huge fan of Anasazi, I do like the idea of, of exploring what inhuman and non-mammalian totems might look like and how they might influence the those that adopt them the guru that adopt them differently same thing with actual plant totems there's already a handful of them out there exist so i didn't just want you know like these one-offs for totems you know like you get a paragraph of a write up you get a couple cool skills out of it or you get a gift and you're done i wanted something that's a bit more of an exploration into what the concept of totem could be and so there's some experimental stuff in volume 3 I will fully admit we've play tested it all it seems to hold up there's probably going to be people that can break stuff some might consider that a feature not a bug uh, but we're trying to explore the boundaries of what like fetishes and totems could be and what utility they could offer to a specific pack
0: to me, that's a really exciting book, you know. Um, it's it, I think that kind of stuff has been, um, and I don't want to, underplayed in Apocalypse over the years, you know. I mean, yeah, you got Axis Mundi and you got Hammer and Clay, but that's not really...
2: Rage Across the Heavens actually does it really well, right? Like, the introduction of these Incarna at, you know, the, the planet Incarna and being able to take them as totems, that was a large inspiration for what we were doing with Tools of Extinction because there's a backstory there and there's a history, you know, and if you take Helios... There's, there's something more to it, right? I just think far too many totems are just throwaways. You know, like it's this, oh, well, we're going to introduce this animal because it hasn't been done yet. Here's our paragraph. Here's your skills. Here's your gift. Go with it. I wanted more than that. I wanted a story. I wanted I wanted meaningful decisions. So when when a player group sits down, whether it's in Savage Age or Apocalypse, and they decide that they're going to explore or use one of the totems in, in Tools of Extinction in Volume 3... I want them to have a conversation about it. I want them to have a conversation with the storyteller, too, in which they're like, is this too powerful? And I want the storyteller to think about it and say yes or no. And that's a really good conversation to have, even before you start playing the game. And then I want the players to to be asking themselves, why are we taking this totem? That that still happens, but I want the mechanics to reinforce that question.
0: I'm with you. Um, it, it, that's, it's kind of why I brought up Exodus Monday over Rage Cross the Heavens at first. Is that, you know, there's there's plenty of totems out there. And, like, you, you bring up a lot of them, seems like they're slapped together. It brings me to my most hated totem in the history of the game, and it's the General Lee. You know, not only because it's. Oh, yes. Yep, there you go. Not only because, like, as a concept, like the it, it's ridiculous, but it's inherently silly all by itself. But on top of that, it, it opens up a grander implication that, that sends you down a rabbit hole that drives me nuts. Because you look right, at right. that, right? If the general Lee has enough spiritual correspondence in, in, the, in, the, in the realm to manifest as a totem, then so does the Batmobile. Yeah, so, right? So and, does and Optimus like- Prime. Why is Optimus Prime a pack totem? Because you, that has to be true. If the general lease, something that hasn't been relevant for 30 years, is a totem, Th- there were how many Transformers movies? And dumb as they were, they made all the money there was. So clearly Optimus Prime is on the table. I want Optimus Prime as a totem.
2: Right. And then the, and then it starts to kind of undermine the integrity of the of the game. Like, the silliness has has its role. And for many games, it really works well. Anybody that's playing in one of my games knows that I don't like silly. The stuff that I explore when I play Apocalypse or when I run Apocalypse can be really tough. And the silly just doesn't jive with that. But you're right. Like, it's opening up this question of, like, okay, well then what can't be a totem? I want totems to be special. I want them to be these enduring concepts that are really, really powerful and and in many ways should be greater than the guru themselves. And unfortunately they become kind of these pets that yes. I, I've never really loved in their interpretation.
0: That's that's exactly it. I think pets is a great way to put it. Um, you know, it's like I says we, we we talk about that idea of you know if this is okay then that's okay and that's okay and, and that turns into what I call the cartoon umbra because at at that moment you know where does it end and yeah now Mickey Mouse has to be around here somewhere somewhere Mickey right. Mouse is in the umbra going ho ho join my pack right and, and that's not anything I want to play it's anything anyone should want to play. It, it's kind of smacking the game in the face of itself. And at the same time, I open Access Monday, and I see something like the Twice Born out of Owl's Brood. And I go, how cool are they? And if, and if, you, if you don't recall them offhand, that's the, the skeleton of mice that Owl has yep. eaten. That's... Oh, and it's a great
2: concept, right? Yeah. And then if you put If you put the General Lee in the same spot that that Twice Born's in, it really undermines the horror and the impact and the concept behind Twice Born, right? Like, I, I fully agree with you, and I will say that Savage Age is my way to bypass a lot of that, right? Like, I don't have to deal with Mickey Mouse or any of the consumer culture concepts that may have found their way into the Umbra. My cheat is... That doesn't exist yet. There is no consumer culture. And so we get to really focus in on the big concepts, right? Like, what does Mastodon mean as, as a totem? And it's no longer just, you know, again, a paragraph and, and some bonus skills, and that's why you picked it. You're picking Mastodon or Mammoth. Because it means something. You've been hunting these creatures over the, you know, glacial Taiga wastes. Your character has this deep connection to what mastodon represents, more than even just the creatures. There's some other stuff, and you get some cool mechanical stuff out of it as well. But there's there's this deeper question of what are the concepts? Why did you pick this totem? And and frankly, totems are also what make Apocalypse so great is that it it's a reason for your characters to be together it's the it's often one of the first core decisions any group makes any pack you know, the the, the the very beginning of the identity of a pack is formed when they make their choices about which totem it's going to be. And that needs to be a big decision, in my opinion.
0: I agree. Um, you know, something that that's important to me in my games is the religious aspect of of being Garu. And when I say that, I don't mean in a way that I'm, I'm projecting religion on anyone so much as to the Garu, Gaia is religion. It's, it's the same way that people have their own faiths and their individual things, which I don't make a commentary on because that's private. That's your business and not on of mine. But the idea that, you know, they worship Gaia. The Geta Fenris worship Fenris. But unlike like the the human religions, you know, in our world, they, they can go interact one to one with most of this stuff. Right. You and can't there's the spirituality. God's, yes, that spirituality is so important. You know, you look at a totem, a totem should be akin akin to a god. Well one of my um one of my more popular NPC packs, the rabies and chains, they serve Boar. And you know that because they make sacrifices to him on the regular. They they, they use his name like he's you know he, he's he's revered, and and, and I think, so yeah yeah please Sorry. no 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 please
2: I, I was gonna say and so when you say Boar, anybody that picks up you know like Accounting for the Dead Volume One and reads about you know the Grander and their war suddenly Boar takes on this other cool kind of meaning right like bore is now a traitor to it's it to the Grander you know um, it's it's working with the Guru who were the killers the 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 ones that destroyed the Chosen of bore. And so that might be a cool story to explore then a little bit, right? Like Boar's always been assumed to be this this kind of ally to the to the group, but there was a time when it when they weren't. And is there still that element there that could be explored? Sorry, I'm, I'm tangenting a little bit. That's, this, this is the good stuff. I don't know what you're talking about. But that's that's what we were trying to do with Savage Age. You know, Brandon and Andy and Case and Nick, the the whole group are trying to build these little. These seeds that you can port over really, really easily into Apocalypse. The other thing that Apocalypse does really well, at least from my philosophy, is it gives every player a mission. And I'm a big believer in that from from Werewolf. I think it was one of the first games that really did this. And it's something we try to lean into with Savage Age in the sense that you've got the worm, you've got the end of days, you have the Apocalypse. It's right there on the cover. If you as a new player, even as an old player, don't know what you're going to do, you build a character that is designed to fight the worm. That's not necessarily a bad thing in my, 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 my games. And, and, you know, just some days you're tired and you don't want to build some deep character concept. You just want to build a warrior that is there to kill nexus crawlers. And I've loved that because when I'm introducing new players to Werewolf, I can tell them, that's what you've got to do. There's a very clear enemy. You are Gaia's chosen warriors. And you are meant to fight that. And as long as a character or a player builds a character around that, it's super easy. Now, there's tons of depth to the setting that, that goes well beyond that. There's the intertribal vi- rivalries. There's, there's the interplay between the triads. There's the legacy of the Pharaoh. There's all these other conflicts that are going on. But at its core, there's this one very simple, very straightforward mission that Apocalypse has. And I love that um and we've tried to explore that with savage age by giving all the pharah their gay and mandates so if you want to play an Oppis or you want to play a grander or you want to play anupu all you have to do is look at the gay and mandate and you've got a character concept right there in front of you you can ignore it you can build something or you can tweak it please do you know change it up as much as you want but if you know you're just interested in playing the anupu here it is go with it run with it easy peasy let's get to
0: the story so is, is, there, is there any book, is there anything right, you know, if I, to, if I were to ask, you know, is there a concept you are not going to tackle other than perhaps a time-traveling Samuel Hyatt? What, um, what might that be?
2: Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I, I mentioned my my general dislike to Anasasi. I will not touch them. There is one of the writers I'm working with, Fabian, is re- really loves the idea of insect shifters and is asked to work on it. And I've given him the green light because I know that people love insect shifters. And if he's able to come up with something really cool, it's going to get published. And I'm going to I'm going to, you know, gnash my teeth. But people will have, you know, if it's fun and, and it's cool. So what? Chris gets to suck it up. This this is going to this is going to be a thing. It's got to be a good idea. And so far, what he's producing sounds pretty cool. Yeah, Sam Haight, I would never touch in a million years. You know, but no other than traveling. that,
0: no, I'm traveling in time. No, I mean, but you know what?
2: People can do that, right? Like we've got we've got Apocalypse and we've got Savage Age. And if if somebody wanted to port a modern character into no. Savage Age, it's not the it's not the kind of game I would run. But this is the great thing about role playing games, right? Like no, you know, no. I don't like the silly stuff, but they can do what they want. And and if they're having fun with it, so be it. I'm not going to tackle it. I'm not going to give them the resources to do it, but that's the great thing about role-playing games: is I don't have to. They can do whatever the hell they want. I, no, um, no,
0: don't, 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 don't encourage a time traveling Samuel Hyatt. Come on. No, you know I, what? It's, I, no, it's the worst idea. It's the worst idea.
2: Uh, are you familiar with Riffs, the the
0: Palladium game? Not really. Does it involve um, time
2: traveling, Samuel? Hyatt? It, it's kind of this no holds barred Gonzo setting that has grown over, I think, forty books right now. And I ran it. I ran uh, a couple series of one shots years ago and I just allowed everything to dial up to 11 and it was stupid and crazy. And it was a lot of fun for a couple games and you know, life's too short if that's where people got to find their happiness and you know by by time traveling samuel hate i'm not going to spend my art budget on building it but if somebody wants to do that with my stuff i'm not going to stand in their way you know i've got i've got a very clear vision of how i want my games to be run but as long as you're not hurting somebody or advancing ideas that are repugnant Go for it.
0: Well, what do you consider a time-traveling semi? Okay, fair enough. You know what? I'm not going to argue with that on that one.
2: But, yeah, there's not – I mean, one of the things that I really love doing, and there's a lot of writers that enjoy this, is taking those concepts that they find not so great – and tweaking them and changing them and and putting them into something that's cool. I mean that that is at, at its core what Savage Age was about. I didn't like how Shattered Dreams treated Dakara, and I decided I was going to work within the boundaries that Shattered Dream gave me and build it into something that I felt was cool. And it seems like a couple other people out there do as well.
0: Well, it's it's definitely you've you've hit you've hit pay dirt here, and I cannot wait for the future entry, entries into the series. You know, um, between me too spirits and fetishes and the, and the different breeds that are come out and your takes of the existing breeds. I, I want to hear more about the Umbra and the different levels. I, you, you got it. I want to hear about it. You've, you've really caught me with this one. And again, knowing me and my feelings and Farrah more often than not, it's, it's a bit of a surprise, you know?
2: Thank you very much. I will say, um, Player uh, player feedback's a big deal. I I have my vision of how I want things to evolve, but part of the part of what makes Savage Age great is I'm working with a bunch of other writers, and we do have feedback. We've got our own Discord channel, much like yourself. Um, if anybody has ideas, kick them past us. We'll talk about them. I'm not. I, I love talking about Savage Age. I mean, goodness, we've been going on for for quite a while right now, and probably have only started to scratch the surface. I am I am happy to make myself available to personally make myself available to anybody that's a fan of the savage age if anybody is willing to spend their hard-earned money but not only their hard their time reading my stuff uh that's an honor and i'm not saying that lightly i really do appreciate that and the least i can do is try to make myself available to answer questions because these aren't perfect products i am i am still learning about being a publisher and about being a developer and there are stumbles and i will fully admit it and i've gone back and tried to correct them and I will go back and correct them. If you find things that you don't like about it, if you find grammar errors or spelling errors or something, let me know. And uh, I go back to my old titles. These are all PDF products. The advantage to PDF products, um, as much as I would like to have them in physical uh, physical form, Storyteller's Vault doesn't allow us to do that. But the advantage to these being electronics form is I can go back and correct things. I just spent a decent amount of cash updating the, the covers to the Try Books, to Try Book uh, Silicon, to Try Book Kara, and to Try Book Naghalu, Because I made a promise to my readers that when these finally paid for themselves, um, I would take that money and reinvest to make the books better. And and I did that. And the, the new covers look look fabulous. Paul Way did a knockout job on every one of them. There's there's a lot of movement. There's They're, they're dynamic. They're cool. And they show you what you can be. I go back at least once a year, usually more, on each one of my titles, and I just read over them again. And often I'm tweaking the words and changing some of the paragraphs uh, so that they read better or that they're more in line with products that have come past them. So it's creating a cohesive narrative. And so, so yeah, I, I will make this pledge to anybody out there that's listening. If you're willing to invest the time, your time and your money to read my stuff, and goodness, if you're really willing to play my stuff, that's even better. I am, you know, I am promising to go back and continually making whatever product you buy from me as good as as I possibly can. So on that note, you know, you and I are talking about this a little bit. I will make this pledge to everybody that has listened this far: one, thank you for your patience. Two. Pick a product. Pick any single Werewolf the Savage Age product out there. If you want it, you've got it. I will give it to you for free. The one thing that you got to do is you've got to email me at weaponizedinc at gmail.com. You email me. You tell me who you are. You tell me what product you want, um, and I will email you a complimentary copy for putting up with Porter and I you know, rapping about Werewolf for this long. I'm, I'm proud of my products. I know they're not perfect, but I, I think there's a lot of really cool stuff out there. I want your listeners to get a chance to look at what we're doing. I'll also say we've got an introductory adventure. We call it the Epic Jumpstart. It's called The Broken Brother. It's the exploration of what uh, a rank six grawl might look like in the Savage Age. We've got pre-generated characters. I have a pre-generated community in there. Brandon Stewart wrote it, and you can just tell he was really passionate about the story. We put a lot of of resources in there we had meant we had meant for it to only be 20 pages long uh it's not 20 pages it's significantly longer it's three bucks so don't ask for that one for free go buy that one yourself and it's got everything you need to start off with savage age including a custom character sheet and then if you like what you see contact me at weaponizedinc at gmail.com tell me what product you want and it's yours thank you very much for listening to us i love talking about apocalypse and so
0: yeah thank you yeah it's uh extremely generous offer but we know we talked about that behind the scenes and you know on behalf of the community here thank you so much for that um you know unfortunately yeah it is uh it is about time we're gonna have to let you go um we we we're gonna have to do some wraparound um and we, we can't make this too long people we'll leave but um i got i got two final questions for you before we uh, before we let you go all right so number one and that's right. something we're asking everyone we interview these are your standard questions? Yep, these these are the two these are the two. Awesome. The the one's going to to everybody is number 1 your favorite auspice and tribe.
2: Uh my favorite auspice is probably Theurge. Uh my favorite tribe by far is Shadow Lord. The Shadow Lords should have but been put in charge of the Guru, the Silver Fangs were the were the wrong
0: choice for leaders in the lead up to the end days i knew i liked you look at that i knew i liked you all right second question would you come back and uh, hang out with us again sometime i'd
2: love to i mean you can see I, i i love talking to other fans of werewolf i you know these conversations really really get me excited i i'm not joking when we finish up with this I'm opening up the current Savage Age book that I'm working on. It's called 101 uh, Savage Kinfolk. And uh, I've got, I'm going to be doing some layout, doing some art, and I'm going to be completely jazzed and probably work well into the night because of this conversation. I really, really appreciate it, Porter. Um, and for all you listeners out there that have made it this far, seriously, thank you. It's, it's, it is an honor to be able to play the same game with you guys.
0: Yeah, uh, I'd, I'd say the 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 honor is ours. It, it's certainly mine. Um, and again, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I, I am really excited to see what comes down the pipeline for uh, for everyone there over at Weaponized Inc. And you you are welcome here anytime you want. Uh, again, thank you so much. Um, as much as it pains me to do, I have to hand this back over to Past Porter. Uh, take take it away, you goon. Thanks again, other Porter. So, Danny, hell of an interview, huh? Yeah. Wow. Um.
1: Wow. That's a uh a hell of a mind on that guy huh
0: no absolutely and a hell of an offer that he's given to the listeners you you guys take advantage of that
1: yeah extremely generous very very nice of him to do that too
0: you know i'm definitely looking forward to hearing his takes on some of the other uh the you know, I, some of uh, the nastiness the wild's going to get up to. You know, yeah, in, that's in, like, super it's super
1: interesting. It's crazy
0: that some of those,
1: yeah, because you never really thought of it until now, right? Some of the ideas that would be there tens, tens of thousands of years ago.
0: Well, you know, it's something I was talking about too, um, or I've been talking about lately is, you know, we've got Werewolf 5 coming, and, and I was kind of workshop it with folks at discord the idea of you know how we would feel about an additional tribe and you know and like in what ways we'd be okay with it or not okay with it and i think that's something we could talk about in a different episode but what a great way to give us new and fresh content for the world of werewolf by going back that way oh absolutely you know? but hey you guys uh you just heard the interview you you know what's up and hopefully you're just as ex- excited for their future products as we are you haven't heard the last of them no at way all.
1: they'll be back
0: <laughs> definitely and you know thanks again chris uh for for taking the time and uh hopefully next time we'll get some more in studio and or at least remote and we'll have some fun
1: yeah and congratulations to all of weaponized ink studios thanks again all of you
0: and um for now that'll about do it um on behalf of everyone at summer rain studios see what i did there
1: yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll talk to you next time you guys take it easy keep howling take care of each other yeah we'll see you